Uh, we're going to continue on in our series, Meeting Jesus. Uh, today, we don't just get to meet a person, but a group of people. So the Gospel of John, I'm going to get there with you guys. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So who have we met so far, or who has met Jesus so far? Right, the lady without a name, the woman by the well. She's most popularly known as. Uh, and we see that she asked, Lord, I, I want that living water. What, what is this life you're talking about? And Jesus leads her, but he has to start at the beginning and deal with her sin and lead her to everlasting life. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, I think one of the neatest things about that uh, meeting is it's the very first time Jesus ever reveals who he is to anybody, and it's a nobody. That's exactly what he went after. Who else have, has met Jesus so far in our talks? Yes, sir. Satan, right? Satan and Jesus met up, and they kind of had their duel. Satan lost, of course. He is, by definition, the loser of the Bible. Um, so if you ever want to know a real loser, if you ever feel like you're a loser, you're not. Satan's a loser, all right? Um, so what else? There was two other people that, yep, Mary and Joseph, right? Mama and Papa, uh, or so to say. But John chapter 6, you guys there? All right. We're talking about uh, not just one or two people, but about five to 40,000 people here. It's known as the feeding of the 5,000, all right? There's a huge crowd. They gather together by the lake in this huge grassy place, uh, specifically 5,000 men. Uh, that is, we'll get into it in a minute here, but statistically, they would only number like the dads, and then they would assume like most of the families would be there, and so it could have been a massive crowd uh, if they only had two kids of up to and beyond 20,000, but most people had bigger families than that. So you're talking 30, 40, maybe even 50,000 people gathered together on the Sea of Galilee in John chapter 6, and some pretty cool stuff happens. Now, what's the feeding of the 5,000 most famous for? Can you, yeah. The multiplying of the bread and the fish. How much bread did they have? Five, five loaves, or five little rolls, really, not loaves, but these uh, five pieces of barley. And how many fish did they have? Two. Okay, I could very easily uh, eat most of that in a day or by myself if I was super hungry for a meal. Uh, there's a young boy there we find out that is used by the Lord in a tremendous way. Another guy, we don't get to know who he is. We don't really know how old he was. We just know that what he gave to Jesus, Jesus turned and used in a powerful way. And so this morning, you might think, well, I don't know what I have to offer. I don't have millions of dollars. I don't even have a job. Like, uh, I'm a kid in school. What could I give Jesus? You may be very, very surprised to find out one day that when you give him just the littlest of what you have, he may turn around and transform an entire nation or an entire group of people or maybe even just your friends but God will use the littlest thing as long as you're willing to give it to him. You guys there, John chapter 6? Let's pray. Father, this morning, just in the rush of getting ready and running around and making it up here, and Lord, pray that you calm our hearts and our minds. Lord, with the looming reality of school and then there's friends and all this other stuff, Lord, pray that you would give us life and that more abundantly right now. Holy Spirit, that you would speak through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, how many of you guys are aware that Jesus knows the future, right? God knows the future. Does he know what's going to happen tomorrow? Yes. Does he know what time you're getting home today? Yes. Ladies, does he know who you're going to marry? Yes. Do you? Probably not, right? Gentlemen, does he know where you're going to work when you grow up? Yes. 
Uh, does he know if our nation's going to go to war in the next months or years? Yes, he does. Does he know? He knows everything, and he sees everything from afar off. It's not like there's just a little three-second delay over uh, some messed up satellite, and so he's getting the feed a little bit before us, but only a minute or two early, and so he's just a few steps ahead of us. He sees from a great distance what is going on, and sometimes it's from his vantage point that he knows what's going on, even though we may not. And that's exactly how the story opens up. The fact and the reality that God sees all things all the time, and that he understands all things, he knows what he's doing, and though maybe we're wandering around and looking for what we think is important, the Lord always has his eye on us, and he sees it all the whole time. It's amazing. Look at just the first uh, like three verses with me, all right? Starting in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, all right? He sails over this massive lake, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. So all this ministry ends. They get in their boat. They float across the lake. Uh, known as the Sea of Galilee, it's really a massive lake, and they get over there, and the people begin to follow around the lake, and they hear where he's gone, and so they're uh, coming in droves. There's a multitude of people, and Jesus goes up on the mountain. It's just him and the 12 disciples at this point, but why are the people coming? Why are the multitudes coming? Look at verse 2. What's the reason? You're both right, uh, because they saw what God had done. What's up, Jacob? They saw what he had done. They clearly, they saw, oh man, Jesus is healing people with diseases and casting out demons and all of this crazy stuff. We got to go find this guy. He's, he's a healer. They come to this conclusion, he's the prophet and all this great stuff. And so they are following Jesus for what he can do. They're following Jesus for what he can do. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. He goes up on this mountain, and um, look, they were very aware of who Jesus was at this time, at least his abilities, his powers, his might, his signs, uh, the healings, and all this stuff going on. Can you come? Think about this for a moment. Can you come to Jesus expecting him to do something? Can you come believing he has the ability to set people free or to heal them or to change circumstances? Can you do that? Have you guys said, yep, you can go to Jesus and expect that he has all power, all authority, all control to do whatever he wants. He can raise people from the dead. He can heal people from sickness. He can do all kinds of crazy stuff. He can heal marriages and broken homes, and he can even help me with that guy at school I already don't get along with, even though I have only been there for two days. Like, he can do that stuff. He can. Can he help you with math? He can do all kinds of stuff. And they knew it. They came seeking Jesus, expecting to see more. Now they get off track, and we'll see it here in a minute, but they come with expectation, which is a great thing. Do we come with expectation? How often do we pray believing that God wants to move and do something? How often do you pray, not because you're just kind of supposed to, uh, not because it's the right formal thing to do, but because you believe God can make this situation or that person's life completely transformed and use it for his glory? Do we come and pray like, 
just because that's what we've been told to do growing up? Is you pray for someone who's sick? Or do we pray, Lord, that guy is messed up, he's sick, or he's broken, or he's diseased, please heal him, because I know you can. Or, Lord, my parents are fighting like crazy, uh, show them their selfishness, God, reveal to them their need for you, and heal their marriage, I'm praying, please, God, do it. Do you think he can do it? And why don't we pray like we believe he can do it? Guys, if someone said, hey, I have all the answers to your problems. All you have to do is come and ask. Got a backpack full, right? You owe someone 10 bucks, here's a 20. Like, oh, what's wrong with you? You're hungry? Boom, double, double, chocolate shake. Like, what do you need? Oh, man, like, I mean, think about it. If someone just had this never-ending ability to help in time of need, and he said, just come and ask. That's all you have to do. Come and ask. Believe who I am, right? Believe I can help. Believe I'm the Lord. Believe I have the power to change things. And come and ask. Why don't we come and ask for greater things? Why don't we come and ask God to do bigger things in our lives? These guys, they were traveling all around the lake and the nation because they knew Jesus can do things. We've seen him do it. We know he can do it. He'll probably do it again. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13 It says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart. You remember learning how to swim? Yeah? Learning how to swim like your parents, you're like doggy paddling, like I'm going to But you're doggy paddling after your mom or your dad, and they're like, I'm just going to be right here. And you start moving, and they just start moving back farther. And like, Like, come on! We all have had that happen. You're going to do it to your kids. Why? You're stretching them. But in that stretching, they're realizing, oh my gosh, I can do more or I can go farther. And really, my dad's never more than a finger's distance away the whole time. And guess what happens? Eventually, they thought a little bit harder, they make it. Sometimes God kind of lures us in and draws us in but it's not that he's running away from us it's not that he's hiding from us it's to show look we can do more than you think and i'm never more than an inch away at any time and we're told right there in jeremiah 29 13 when you seek me with your whole heart paddle hard you will find me not hiding i'm not running i'm right here come with expectation Come believing. Matthew 21, verse 22, it says, Whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. What does that mean? That's not the square root of pi or like a geometric theory. What does it mean? Yeah. It means that whatever things you ask when you're praying, if you believe you can do it, it'll happen. So what does that mean? Whatever things you ask praying and you believe it, it'll happen. It's very simple. Do you believe that God can do things? Uh, I, I want to say yes, but I don't know. Do I? You begin to take little steps of faith and you will begin to see great things happen. But there's a, 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 another side to this coin, okay? Don't start thinking like, man, but I want an Xbox, and I want my own house. I don't forget my parents. Just build me a house upstairs or in the backyard. That'd be sweet. Like, and I want to own Hawaii. And I want to go to Mars. And like, right? No, no, no. That, hold on. There's another side to this. But you have to pray. When we pray, if you don't pray believing, 
You may as well just go talk to a wall or a rock. Like, hello, Mr. Speaker. Bless this food. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> like, guys, I wonder how many of our prayers are like that. It's just a formality. We hold the door open for girls because that's just the right thing to do. Uh, or we say yes to mom and dad because that's the honorable thing to do. And so we pray before dinner because that's the honorable thing to do. But we're not actually talking to God. He says, when you pray, believe it. I'm listening. Pray, believe I'm listening. Pray, believe that I will answer. But the other side of that is John 14, verse 13 and 14. So look, whatever you ask, believing, you'll receive it. But there's another portion. It says, and whatever you ask in my name, John 14, whatever you ask in my name, that is a massive, massive key to the whole thing that I will do that the, sorry, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, or he's saying, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So does that mean, pray believing that God will give you an Xbox and say, in the name of Jesus at the end, boom, you got it? It's going to happen? What does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? You guys know? What do you think? To pray for what glorifies him. That's probably one of the best ways I've ever heard it put. To pray for what glorifies him. You, you always hear oftentimes, in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, just because you say in the name of Jesus, it's not the magic abracadabra at the end of prayer that all of a sudden makes prayer effective or makes God do what you want. It's that we're praying, Lord, whatever portion of this prayer, if I pray 10 things and then I say, in the name of Jesus, what I'm saying is, Lord, if nine of those were not according to your will, let him pass away. But the one thing that was of your will, the one thing that was according to your desires, the one thing that will glorify you, may that come to pass. Jesus taught us to pray, and he prayed himself, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. So he said, pray believing, I can do all things. You pray believing, Jesus can do all things, anything, raise people from the dead, heal them, all kinds of crazy, awesome, cool stuff. But when you pray, you pray in accordance with the will of God. That when you pray in the name of Jesus, you're basically saying, whatever I'm praying, I believe that Jesus would pray too. You're not like, God, wreck that guy. I hate that. The captain of the football team, he's such a punk, man. Just trip and break his little kneecap right there, and like, then I'll become captain. You think God's like, yeah, that'll glorify me. Let's go hurt people so you can play football. Like, what the, no. But when we pray according to the name and the will of Jesus and we believe he'll do it, guess what he says? It's going to happen. These people came with great expectation. They traveled around the lake, a massive group of people, uh, at least 5,000, minimum, probably closer to 20, upwards to 30,000, 40,000 people following over this massive, massive gathering together. There's a difference between seeking the Lord and the Lord's stuff, though. There totally is. Yes, have you guys ever seen prayer answered? You prayed for something and it happened? Yeah? What was it? What happened? Okay. Okay. That's crazy. It, it, it happens. I mean, it's, you think God cares about your cell phone? 
Sometimes I think he's the one that hides it, so you put it down for a while, but you look for days and days and days, and you're like, Lord, oh gosh, would you just help me find this? And like two minutes later, ha I got it. Like, it's crazy. Simple little tiny things. What, what do you think? Or what, no, what do you think? What have you seen? You're like just freaking out about something, like, Lord, give me some kind of peace, and then like, boom, you got it? Guess what? That's what the Bible says will happen. Imagine that. If you come to him with thanksgiving and let your requests be made known to God, he will give you the peace that even surpasses your own understanding. It's awesome. What do you think? That's awesome. So all electricity shut off in your house and you guys prayed and it came back on? All right. Yes. Uh huh. <laughs> She's right there. Okay, what if, what if I told you today, hey guys, uh, there's a missionary that we want to support in Asia through Gospel for Asia, but we need $1,400 by the end of this service. What, what if I told you that? So there's a missionary, uh, we believe they're very much so involved in what God wants them to be doing. They're telling people about Jesus and spreading the word. But to continue to support them for the next year, we need $1,400 before service is over today. Is that when we go like, okay. Like, I mean, you found my dog and my cell phone, but like, come on, get real. $1,400, we're junior hires. Like, what are you talking about? It happened like 10 years ago. My wife was involved in like a college group. And it was their last time meeting. They got together and they were like, dude, we, we promised to send $1,400 to a missionary in Asia, and they all emptied their pockets, tens and ones or whatever. She gets home, opens the bag. It's exactly $1,400 worth of money. Sends it to Asia. The guy keeps going on. I remember the first time we were looking for, we were getting married. We're newly engaged and all that fun stuff, right? But then there's like, we got to live somewhere. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And so, like, the wedding's five weeks away. And we're like, we got, oh, my gosh, we kind of, we need to find some place to live. And so we go find uh, all kinds of places. All of a sudden, they're booked, 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 booked. We meet this old guy named Lynn, uh, really nice. And he's like, oh, hello, how are you? And we're like, good. You know, we're like, probably look like 10-year-olds to him. We're getting married. Like, and, like, and we want to live in your house, and we've never rented anywhere. And so I don't know if I know how to take care of a house or if I'm responsible or anything, but I'm going to try. And we left there. And he was like, okay, well, turn in your application. There's like 10 applications. We're the youngest people, most unqualified. We turn in our applications. We're driving home. And it was only like maybe 30 minutes, 20 minutes from where our parents lived, where we were living. And we're driving. And like, you know what? I'm praying and fasting until we hear back. An hour and a half later, ring. 
hey, it's Lynn. I think you guys would be a great fit for the house. Like, no way. That's nuts. Uh, On and on and on and on. Um, Guys, you ever have to pray for a long time for something? The Bible says, ask, seek, and knock. You guys ever do this to your, your mom? You're like, hey, mom, 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 what? Can I go to John's tonight? Yeah, sure. And then an hour later, mom, mom, can you, can you take me? I'll take you in a little bit. Ten minutes later, mom, mom, I'll take you. I said I would take you. Just hold on. You guys, you guys go through that, right? When the Bible says ask, seek, and knock, are some things answered like that fast? They are. Sometimes they are. Are sometimes things answered over months or even years or even decades? Sometimes they are. I remember my wife, she told me they were praying for her uncle's salvation for like 20 years. And just a, like two years ago, he pulled over on the side of the freeway. He was driving, listening to Greg Laurie, I think, on the radio, pulls over on the side of the freeway and prays to accept Jesus after 20 years years of praying. And so regardless of what it is, if it's someone is sick, uh, our son Caleb was born with a little hole in his heart. And he was supposed to have open heart surgery when he was like six months old. Guess what? No more hole in his heart, no more surgery. God was radically awesome to heal that. Uh, our daughter Kaya was born seven weeks early with underdeveloped lungs and uh, crazy stuff happened. Guess what? She's like the strongest lady I know and she's five and a half years old. Like, uh, on and on, we've, we've seen God do so many things through prayer. And like this crowd who gathered together to go find Jesus, and yes, it was because of what he can do. And they got a little bit sidetracked, and we'll see that in a minute. But at least they came believing. When you come to Jesus, guys, together, begin to come to Jesus and believe. Lord, move. I know you can do these things. I have no doubt. I don't know if you want to or not, but I know you can. And I even think you might want to. So I'm asking you, move in these huge, tremendous ways. They came because of what Jesus can do, but the Lord came with compassion. The Lord didn't go after these people, hey, empty your wallets. I'm hungry. I need lunch. We see so many people of power treat the people around them to get what they want, not Jesus. They came to get something from what Jesus can do. Jesus came with compassion. Take a look, starting in verse 4. Remember they're up on the mountain? Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, so he sees all things. They're all gathering together. They're sitting up on a mountain. They can see the crowd walking across the lake. Just imagine what 40,000 people looked like. That's Anaheim Stadium full of people. Just, and like, dude, they're coming towards us. He's not like, quick, hurry, run. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude, he saw them from way before they saw him, coming toward him, said to Philip, one of his disciples, where should we buy bread that they may eat? I said, Philip, dude, it's, it's time for, for lunch. What are we going to feed these people? But this he said to test him, right? He's backing away in the pool. Come on, Philip, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. 
Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Mr. Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. And so they're having this conversation. They're all making their way across. And they finally make it to Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, um, what are we going to feed them? And they're like, we didn't know we were providing lunch. You're a Bible teacher. You're a prophet. You're Jesus. We're not a restaurant, Jesus. And so, but like he wasn't hard-hearted. He goes through his money. He's like, 200 nanari. Dude, we couldn't even give him a breadcrumb each. Like, this is nuts. We couldn't even buy him a Ritz cracker. Like, what's going on? How's this going to work? I don't know. And then Andrew's like, hey, this little guy over here has got five little loaves of barley bread and two fish. These are small fish. Don't think that he had like two swordfish. Like, ha, ha. Like, we're not roasting a pig for a luau. Okay. These are more like uh, large sardines or small minnows. They're like maybe six to eight inches long. Not much meat on them. They're dead. Don't worry. It's already the gruesome part's over. They already suffocated and died. And so... They got their little basket of bread. It's one plate worth of food, maybe a small basket. And they're sitting there, and God begins to test his disciples. What are we going to do? Guys, whenever the Lord lets you see a problem, it's because he wants to show you the, the answer. Anytime the Lord allows you to see a need, it's because he wants you to be part of the solution. No matter how big or small it is. If Jesus didn't want them to be involved, he could have just snapped and they all, all of a sudden had backpacks full of, you know, filet mignon or something. He could have. Can't God do anything? He could have made an in and out appear on the side of the Sea of Galilee, like hats and everything. Like, but that's not how God works. God is not independent of us in what he does. If God lets you see a need, it's because he wants you to be part of the solution. Jesus knew the answer. He always, always, always knows what he's doing. Regardless of how it feels or circumstances are too big, money doesn't add up, the Lord always knows what he's doing. I love it. It says right there, verse 5, he said this to test him, but verse 6 reassures us, but Jesus knew the whole time what he was going to do. Then Jesus is like, oh my gosh, Philip, what do we do? Help, help, help me, help me, help me. Could you imagine if God showed up in your dreams or in your room one day and was like, dude, I got a problem, help me. You're <laughs> like, What? That'd be the most terrifying thing ever, but that's not it. Jesus tests us. He opens our eyes to the problem so that we can be part of the solution. Philip tries to make sense of it all. Get it? Sense? Like money? Tries to make sense of it all. I know. Lame. But Andrew chimes in. He volunteers. Isn't this funny? Andrew's like, I don't have anything, but I'll steal that little kid's lunch for you. (laughs) Who is he? This little kid just happens to be hanging out, and he's like, hey, uh, we don't have anything. We don't have enough money, but I can, I can take his food if you want. But then he says, eh, maybe it's not that good of an idea. It probably, it's only, eh, what is that amongst so many people? The Lord works through people, though. It was just a little tiny bit from a little tiny boy. Guys, look for the little things. If you think that there's things going on in life that need God, start looking around. It might be the little things that make the biggest impact. 
It's a little bit of compassion or a little bit of patience or a little bit of gentleness in the way that you talk to people or a little extra love or maybe it's a little bit of money or maybe it's a little bit of fill-in-the-blank help. Maybe it's a little bit of labor. You go help someone do something. But a little boy with a little bit of food is exactly what God was looking for. Verse 10, he says, have them sit down. How many people were there? 5,000, right? 5,000 men. We'll read it here in a minute. 5,000 men plus a wife each would be 10,000. If they all had two kids, that's 20,000, but probably more. Uh, can you back up just one, I think? Can you back up one? The Staples Center. You guys ever been there? I've still never been to the Staples Center. I don't know. Is it pretty huge? It's pretty huge? Okay, so we're talking, there's a minimum, a minimum of 25,000 people standing there, right? And there's a plate of food. One plate of food. What time is it? Oh, my goodness. Oh, we're good. We're good. So Staples Center, could all of the people there with Jesus fit into the Staples Center? The answer is no, all right? You can go to the next one. Even though the inside of it, you can go to the next slide, they max out at 18,118 people. They would have been short like 16,000 seats minimum. Wouldn't have fit. Look at that. I mean, that's row after row. All of a sudden, we're seeing the problem, right? It's not a room full of people. It's a stadium plus another half of a stadium full of people. You guys ever been to the Honda Center? It used to be called the Anaheim Pond, right? That's yeah, the pond. Raw. I've been there before. It's a super cool place. They couldn't have fit in there either. That fits just a few hundred more people. You can go to the inside picture. Um, just to be the next picture. Yep, 18,336 people. But that wouldn't have fit everybody. Now think about it. Jesus and the 12 disciples are sitting there. Let's just say they're right there center court. Let's feed everyone. With what? And this little kid's like, I could take his, uh, his corn dogs and Coke. Like you're going to feed this whole stadium, really, with a few corn dogs and a Coke? Like, you're out of your mind. Jesus just, good idea. And that's just for argument's sake. Well, it doesn't say that women and children were there. It was only 5,000 people. Okay, fine. Let's just say it was only 5,000 people. The next picture, this is uh, our main sanctuary in the church where your parents are. That only seats 2,600 people. So you knew you need two of our main sanctuaries to fit the 5,000 men. And I don't know if you've ever seen men eat. But imagine two of those sanctuaries full of grown men who've been walking through the field for half a day to find Jesus. They're hungry, and you're going to feed them with a plate of food? We can eat. And Jesus knows it. It's amazing. Look at it. Look at your, your Bible, John chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, this huge field. Oh, yeah, there it is. Actually, I've gotten to go there. That's the Sea of Galilee. That is the field that they sat on. They would have consumed most of that whole grassy area, if not all of it. And Jesus is there, and they're hanging out, right? Brunch by the sea, like all you ladies got. Uh, where are we at? And Jesus took, okay. Verse 10, um, then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down. In number, about 5,000. 
And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise the fish. He did the same thing to the fish, as much as they wanted. So then they were filled. He said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled the twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. This is insane. I'm sure it took a while, and I'm sure it was not an easy task. There's 12 guys, and he says, hey, have them all sit down. What? Okay. Excuse me! Can you all sit down for a minute? But we're hungry. We have a piece of bread. It's okay. <laughs> Everyone take a seat. Do you have any fish? We got two. It's going to be great. Just take a seat. Eventually they all sit down. They come back. <laughs> got it, Jesus. And he blesses it. He prays over it. And he begins to break it. And he gives it to the 12 disciples. Someone had the tail of a fish. Someone had the head. Someone had a fin. Someone had a, uh, what would that be, five times 12? Not even quite half a loaf of bread. He says, all right, get out of here. Go feed them. Okay. They're going to kill me. They're going to eat me. This is horrible. And imagine going around at least minimum 5,000 super hungry guys. And people start taking stuff off of plates. And it never runs out. It never runs up. It just keeps going and going. How long would that take? Six hours later, five hours later, still going. One plate. He never had to go back to refill the basket, right? Like the popcorn guy at Anaheim Stadium or something. Just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. And Jesus tells him, go pick up everything that's left, gather it together. And there were 12 baskets now full of food. It's amazing what Jesus can do, but... Let me ask you a question. Who gave the disciples what they needed in the moment? Jesus did. Jesus gave them what they needed in the moment. And verse 11 tells us clearly that he broke it, he gave it to them. And sometimes we only get what we need in the moment. They didn't come ready. They didn't have enough. They couldn't have carried that much food with 100 horses. Jesus gave them what they needed the moment they needed it. If you guys ever come upon a circumstance or an opportunity, but you don't really know if you can handle it or what's going to happen or if you can make it through, the answer is yes. Yes, God will provide. Maybe not until that moment. You see it all throughout the Bible. Remember, Pharaoh's chasing down the nation of Israel, and it's when they get into the water, boom, all of a sudden it rises and there's a way through. God provides. Sometimes it's not till the last minute, but right when you need it, it will be there. Did the disciples just sit by and watch? Another question for you guys. Did they just sit by? Did they hang out and watch the crowd? Or did they get involved? They got involved. In fact, they were the only ones involved. But they were very, very, very involved. Jesus will give you what you need, sometimes only when you need it, though. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. They got involved. They weren't like, well, Jesus, can we eat first? I'm hungry too. 
they sought first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, the Lord tells us. What's lacking? What's missing? What's off? The Lord will provide it, sometimes not to the last minute, but like the disciples, they didn't seek their own. They were like, yo, Jesus, like hook us up first, and then we'll have the strength to go do it. Yeah, give us what we need, and then we'll be strong enough to do what you want. The Lord says, no, 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 no. In your weakness, I'm made strong. Go feed him. But how much was left over? Twelve baskets. How much did everybody get to eat? It was like communion where you have like a little cup and a little piece of cracker. And, oh, thanks. How much did they get to eat? As much as they wanted. Almost like the disciples made it all the way down and then all the way back up. Like, oh, can I have another piece? Like, sure, sure. All right, sure. And how much did they pick up at the end? Twelve baskets. Go to the first picture. There's a basket, right? This is uh, five loaves, two fish. That's what they started with, okay? What they end with? Next picture. Twelve baskets. Boom. Twelve baskets. That alone is a miracle, let alone the five to 50,000 people who just partook of the meal. What's the point? I believe this with my whole heart, guys. When did the disciples get their portion? Before or after they got involved? After. Maybe they were sneaking right out of the bottom of the basket. But for sure after, when it was done, they gathered together 12 baskets of food. But it's because they got involved. Because the disciples got involved, God overwhelmingly blessed them. I wonder, in life's circumstances, when we are starving for God to provide, maybe it's not food, maybe it's finances, or maybe it's health, or maybe it's peace, or maybe it's unity, but we need God to move. There's a problem that we can't fix. I wonder how many Christians are starving in life because they won't get involved in what the Lord is doing. If the disciples would have just been like, we can't do it, I'm done. (sighs) They would have been empty as everybody else. Because when God calls, he says, walk worthy of the calling on your life. There is a calling, there is a purpose There is something great that God has in store for us to walk in and to accomplish and to be a part of. But we will spiritually, that inside emptiness, that loneliness, that depression that tries to kind of sneak its way in, that we never tell anybody about, what if that is mostly there because we're just not getting involved in what God is calling us to do? But the last thing, the crowd's desire versus the king's will. This is where things get kind of out of hand. The crowd's desire versus the king's will. Look at verse 14 and 15. It says, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. This is him. They'd seen him heal people. They travel across the nation to find him. Uh, they get Fed, they see this happening. They're like, dude, that guy's play what in the world? No way. And this rumor goes through that it has happened with his little boy, with his little lunch, fed all kinds of people. And they said, okay, this is the prophet who has been told is coming into the world. Deuteronomy, if this is your Bible, write Deuteronomy 18, 18 right here. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting. We know the Savior is coming. Remember? Remember the woman at the well? Her and Jesus, she told him, 
I know the, the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. They come to the same conclusion. Why? They understand. They knew the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 18, 18, it was told and promised thousands of years prior. God says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you or like the Jewish nation from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And they've been waiting when is God going to come and speak to us? When is he going to come and show himself? When is this going to happen? And now, not only did the woman at the well get it, but now there's a massive crowd and they realize this is the prophet who is to come. God told us he was coming and now he's here. This is amazing. But they missed it. Look at verse 15. They got it, but they missed it. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So they're all eating and he's watching just as he was earlier. He's watching and he sees him. Dude, that's the prophet. No, 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 no way. Yeah, look, Deuteronomy 18, man. My dad tells me about it all the time. That's him. No way. And you can see the crowd going from like, right, you're, you're so full. You're like, oh, I can't eat anymore. To now they're on their feet like, what are we going to do? He's our king. I mean, the Bible says he's, he's king. Look, he, yeah, but you've heard him teach. He doesn't want to be king right now. Then we'll make him. There's 5,000 of us, one of him. Let's get him and just tell him, like, I don't care what you say. We're going to Jerusalem, and you're the king. We're going to go overthrow Rome. You're going to take over Caesar. Let's do this thing, Jesus. You're it. And they were going to go. If they had to beat him up, if necessary, they would have done it. They were ready to take him by force, shackle him, drag him into Jerusalem, and make him be king. Here's a problem. Their plan, the crowd's desires, was not the king's will. And so what happened? Jesus leaves. They could have walked together. They could have hung out. Who knows? Who knows what would have happened? But because they begin to seek their own desires rather than the will of God, Jesus sends them away and withdraws up into the mountains alone. I wonder how often we come to God, not thy will be done, but we want our own self-seeking. Were to come believing, and that's exactly how they came, but they left. Though they were fed full, they left empty. Jesus got alone. Mark chapter 8, I'm just going to read to you guys these two last verses, but when all we want to do is see God do big things, and I think, and let me just talk to you guys for a minute, there seems to be this really big, it happens all the time, over and over and over again, but People get fixated on what God can do versus who he is. They get very excited. What can God do? Big things, awesome things, cool things. And they forget about the pursuit of who he is. Can God do big, cool, awesome miracles? Yes. Is that all he is? No. He's not an entertainer. He's the king. And so you'll see people want more of God, but really they just want more of God's stuff to happen in front of their face. They want to see God do more cool things, or they want to just be entertained, or they want to have more power to be involved. God does powerful things, and God will use us to do big things, but not if we're just pursuing the big things. 
We've got to be in pursuit of him. Jesus tells some pretty hard things to a few different groups of people. He says that when all you want to see is big stuff, in uh, Mark chapter 8, you can write it down. He calls it, you wicked, you perverse, you lost generation. Because all you seek is a sign, none will be given to you. You want nothing to do with me. You just want me to do my tricks, show my power, and be on my way. I'm out of here. There's a guy in the book of Acts. If you guys have ever read the book of Acts, you probably remember this, hopefully. The book of Acts chapter 8. He tries to get involved. He's there, and I think it's Paul that comes up. Maybe it's, I think it's Peter. And the Holy Spirit falls upon the crowd, and the power of God is displayed. And the guy's like, whoa, that's amazing. How much? I'll pay you. Uh, teach me your tricks. How much, how much does that cost? Peter says, you better repent from your sins so that God might grant you repentance before he grinds you into powder. You think you can just buy the power of God? You've missed it completely. All you want is a sign? You want to see the big things? You've missed it completely. Does God do big things? Yes, but not for the sake of entertainment or a cool factor. It's for his own glory, and he will not share his glory with anybody. No one. It's awesome when we look at the crowd and the overview. They came believing. That is an awesome, awesome, awesome thing. Jesus fed them. He got the disciples involved. Get involved. I think there's a lot of people who are empty inside because they won't get involved in what God has called them to do. They're starving because they won't feed on the Lord's will. But don't miss it. Don't go after your own desires rather than the king's will. Right? We're going to close and worship here in a minute, but... As big as we are in here, I want to break up into groups of like four just for a little bit and spend time praying. Pray for each other. Pray for, man, you guys know what's happening in the Middle East? You guys know what's happening in the United States of America? Yeah? It's on its way. We've got to seek God like never before. So don't pray your will. Pray for the Lord's will. But we're going to break up into groups of Four leaders, you can help me out a little bit. Um, this isn't buddy time, hangout time, talk time. This is God intervene time. Save people that are stuck on the tops of mountains. Save the little kids who are having their heads chopped off by terrorists. Save the churches who are getting burned down. Save my aunt who has cancer. Save my friend or move in my school or give my principal strength to me make a stance this year at school or mom and dad in your home or whatever, right? I'm going to spend the next five minutes. Okay, I guarantee four people can definitely pray for five minutes. I promise. So right now, guys with guys, girls with girls, we'll just do that for now. And uh, go ahead and break up.